And if you've got a Bible, um, you might want to try and flick and find Matthew. We're going to be in there today. You know, um, but growing up, I wanted to say, uh, my next-door neighbour, who we called Aunt Winnie, who she's appeared in a few sermons of mine in the past, um, she had this picture of Jesus in her kitchen, which, if it wasn't this one, it was one very much like it on the screen. They got it? Where is Jesus? There he is. And um, Auntie Winnie was particularly smitten by this picture of Jesus because, in her words, his eyes followed you round the room. Do you know, if you, can you see that? If you sort of like, no matter where you are, he's looking at you. And I remember my dad um, got me to stand on the opposite sides of Winnie's kitchen um, to him and then moved to see if we could get Jesus to go cross-eyed. <laughs> and Aunt, Win- Aunt Winnie was not amused by this. Um, But I don't know what picture of Jesus you grew up with. You know, we each have our own understanding of what Jesus was like and and, and, and how he behaved based on things that we've seen and we've learned and we've heard over the years. And some of these things are accurate and they're helpful. Some of these things, dare I say, including that picture of Jesus, maybe not so accurate and not so helpful. So what is and what was Jesus actually like? It's a brilliant question, what is Jesus like? Because that one question opens up the answers to a bunch of other important questions too. For example, it helps us to know what God is like, if we know what Jesus is like, um, because the Bible tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And so Jesus um, shows us what God is like and the way he is towards us. Um, This question also, it helps us to know what the kingdom of God is like, because the kingdom is the expression of Jesus' character and nature. And of course, it also shows us, um, as Christians, what we should be like as we seek to follow Jesus. The question, what is Jesus like, helps us answer that one too. And so it's a valuable question. And over the next um, few weeks, we're going to be looking at a bunch of encounters in the life of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel. Um, And we'll be observing, as we always do, you know, what is Jesus saying and what is he doing Um, But we'll be giving particular attention to this question, but what is he like? What is he actually like in that story? And so I'm going to read a passage from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. And as I read this, I'd love you to consider that. What is Jesus like? Maybe if you've got a a pen handy, scribble down a few words. Or if you're you're watching at home, you might grab one or, or even use the notes section of your phone if you want to. Just write down a few words. What is Jesus like? Okay, so Jesus was teaching, and it says, while he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I'll be healed. Jesus turned and saw her, take heart, daughter. He said, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and the people playing pipes, this was sort of like the traditional mourners that would have been there. He said, go away, the girl's not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and he took the girl by the hand and she got up, raised from the dead. Now, I don't know what words came to your mind maybe what you jotted down, but I'm going to share a few of mine. And if, if, if you agree, you could be like, yeah, woo, I agree. <laughs> but you might have different ones. So the first thing, Jesus, did you notice how kind 
he was in that passage. How kind he was. Um, The language that he uses with this woman, did you notice that? Take heart, daughter, he said to her. Your faith has healed you. And the way he takes this little girl by the hand, he's so gentle, so kind. In, In one of the other accounts of this story, in Mark's gospel, there's a little extra detail that we get where it says, um, he took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. How kind, how gentle. Jesus had this kindness that was unusual in the ancient world, um, the one that we read about in the Bible, um, which was often characteristically harsh and unkind. And uh, Jesus was kind, especially to those on the margins of society, to people like widows or people who were diseased or who had physical impairments or people who were seen as morally impure in that, in that world. And, and, and those were the people, though, that Jesus, he pursued, and he was especially kind to them. In a culture where kindness was scarce, Jesus lavished it on those that felt like they needed it most. And I think today is is in many ways the same. The other day I was chatting to um, a tradesman who did some work on our house. Um, And he's also done work on quite a few of your house, quite a few people at Trent, he knows you. And um, he said, I love doing jobs for Christians, or in his words, your lot. Um, He said, uh, and he explained, they're honest, they pay on time, they don't wrangle over every penny, they're gracious about mess and delays. And to sort of sum it all up, he said, you know, they're kind. And he asked me a question. He said, can you imagine what the world would look like if everybody was that kind? And I was like, yes, that's the way the world's supposed to be. Yes. Because in his own way, I think he's longing for and he's, He's describing what the kingdom of God is like, a place where people are kind in this world where kindness um, is so scarce. And, And I guess the point he was making, of course, is that that isn't how the world is. Jesus calls us to go against that tide. And that's one of the things that I love about being part of this church. Um, over the years, uh, being involved in what these things that we call blessing the community projects, um, I've loved, I can just, you know, being part of teams that um, I made a little list, things like handing out chocolate bars, tidying gardens for housebound people, decorating homes for single parents, singing songs in old people's homes, and painting schools, street barbecues, wrapping presents at the Vicky Centre, washing cars, face painting, and on and on. And uh, one of my personal favourites will always be when we were going door to door handing out um, advent calendars before Christmas. And this woman opened the door and she, she yelled upstairs to her children, kids, do you want some chocolate from God? And we were like... <laughs> But I love this trait that we have as a church and the way it's continued during the COVID pandemic, the way you've, you know, delivered care packages, blessed your neighbours with, you know, morale-boosting treats and flowers and picked up shoppings. And I just want to say, you know, to encourage us, let's never stop doing this. Let's never stop just being kind. Let's never stop. It's been hard to do these kind of projects during lockdown. But, um, but speaking especially to small group leaders, if you're watching or if you're here, It's been hard, but let's get get a date in for a Blessing the Community project in September. Or in the autumn term, let's get out there because we can't show Nottingham the kindness, the Jesus, the person of Jesus, without showing him his kind nature. Especially to those on the margins of our society. So that's the first thing. The second thing, I don't know if you noticed this, did you notice how gracious Jesus was in that passage? You know, one of the things that you might not 
know about that story is that in, in those stories, um, Jesus encountered two people who had the potential to make a person what, what would have been called unclean, ceremonially unclean. In, that, in Jewish culture, if you came into contact with a dead person or a, 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 a person who had bleeding, menstrual bleeding, like the woman in this story, you would have been designated as ceremonially unclean. You had to go and wash all of your clothes. And effectively, you had to like, isolate for a day. Um, it was like getting pinged in those days. And, uh, you know, that rule, it might sound a little bit weird to us, um, but at the time, these, these rules were deeply practical. They prevented infection. They saved lives. So it was important. But you see, for, for a father to come up to somebody and ask them to lay hands on his dead daughter, it was actually quite a big thing to ask. Or what that woman did in the story, um, for example, it wasn't socially acceptable what she did. You know, in her desperation to try and reach Jesus, she's, she's pushing through the crowd, she's touching everybody. Um, if they had the NHS app in those days, everyone would have got a notification, including Jesus, and told to isolate. And so when Jesus realised what happens, he realised that she touched him. She knew in that moment that she'd been caught out. She'd been rumbled. And she braced herself for the humiliation of that experience. In, again, in, in, in another account, in Mark's account, it says, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, she came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, trembling with fear, and she told him the whole truth. It all spilled out. She's exposed in front of her community. She's on her knees, and she's just waiting for the crowd to turn on her and start yelling, you know, you stupid woman, what have you done? We're all going to have to wash our clothes now. We're all going to miss a day's work. Imagine how she felt then. When Jesus turned to her and he saw her and he said, take heart, daughter. See how, how gracious Jesus is. So cool. I remember one of my um, first times down the arches, um, the project that we, that we have to, to bless um, the, the poor and the needy in our city. There was this homeless guy came in and he, and he, and he was in a quite a bad way. He was smelly and he was disruptive and he was there, and at the end of the morning, the coordinator had to sort of help him get up to leave. And at that moment, it became apparent that he'd also, he'd, he'd wet himself. And it was just this sad, unpleasant situation. But I remember, you know, watching this and being amazed, surely by what the team did, you know, they, of course, they helped him. But more, it was the way that they did it. They were so patient, they were so kind, they were so gentle with this man. There was a, a dignity in the way that they treated him, and it would have been so easy for them to be frustrated or even disgusted with this situation. But I think they understood, as Jesus said earlier, actually, in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 9, he said, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. You should have been there to see it. It was, it was, it was like Jesus. It was amazing. It's easy to love lovable people, isn't it? But maybe the people that Jesus want us to bless most of all are not necessarily the people that we have the most amount of affection for. It's the, the people that we find perhaps hardest, the people that are most frustrating, most unreasonable. Maybe somebody who's tried to take advantage of you or somebody who says things or has opinions that you don't agree with or even offends you. As I'm sort of thinking about that, who's coming into your mind? What could you do today, to bless that person and show them love. Be gracious like Jesus. Okay. Third and final thing, interruptible. 
Do you notice how interruptible... I mean, I bet nobody got that one, did they? But do you notice how interruptible Jesus is? Twice in this story, he's teaching and he gets interrupted. Yet twice, he's generous with his time and with his attention. Um, The situation with the synagogue leader, um, the father of the girl, really struck me in particular because in, in Matthew's gospel, synagogues were often places of conflict for Jesus where people were, you know, they often rejected him there or they were cynical about his healings or critical of him. And Jesus could have turned around to this guy and said, oh, right, so now, now you want me to start healing people, do you? Now you believe in me. But he doesn't, he doesn't even, that doesn't even cross his mind to score points. He simply gets up and follows a desperate father towards the source of his pain to go and help him. And in a sense, I think Jesus' whole life and and the way he was willing to be interrupted, his whole ministry could be described in this way. God saw the pain and the brokenness of this world and he chose to come and engage and come towards that pain. It wasn't convenient for Jesus to come as he did, but it was his choice to do so. And, um, And in the Bible, in Philippians chapter two, it famously describes the way that Jesus did this, how he emptied himself. He surrendered to time and space and a a mortal body and uh, to human parents. And he even went through puberty. That wasn't convenient for him. And he humbled himself, something that was, you know, shameful, especially shameful in that era and in that culture. And he ultimately died on a cross. None of this was convenient. I remember when um, Ellie Mumford um, uh, came to speak here at the carol service a few years ago, and she was marvelling at the way that Jesus came to the world in this way, the incarnation. And she said, the central miracle of Christmas, the real joy of what it means, is that God bothered, that he didn't give up on us, but that he bothered And, you know, if you're experiencing pain right now, if you're in a difficult situation... No, this is what Jesus is like. This is what God is like. He is drawn uh, towards you. He wants to heal you. He wants to set you free. But he wants to come towards you and be with you. And for us who are followers of Jesus, we need to be like him in this regard. It means that if we want to be like Jesus, we need to be drawn towards people who are in pain, to be there with them. And it means that we must at least at least be willing to bear a bit of inconvenience for others, doesn't it? It means we must at least be interruptible, willing to go out of our way, not to be so preoccupied with self and busyness that we miss opportunities to just express kingdom kindness. It must mean at least that. Um, You know, uh, my mate sent me this um, record of this. In 1973, there was this psychological experiment, quite a famous one, called the Good Samaritan Study. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, and in this study, they got seminary students, people who were you know, training to become um, ministers, and they, got them, they asked them to walk across a university campus, and then when they got on the other side of the campus, they, would, they were asked to give a presentation. Some of them were asked to give a presentation on the Good Samaritan, and then some of them were asked to give a presentation on something that was less spiritual. Also, some of them were told that they had plenty of time to get there. Um, some of them were told, oh, you're already running late. Could you, get, could you get going? Okay. On the way, they each encountered a man who was an actor slumped in an alleyway, um, apparently needing some help. And you can probably see where this one's going, right? So um, what they found was that those who'd been sent to talk about the Good Samaritan, 
They were almost twice as likely to stop and try and help this guy as the people who'd been sent to talk about something else. I guess, you know, it was on their mind and, uh, you know, you can imagine. But incredibly, those who were in a rush, those who'd been told they hadn't got much time to get there, were six times less likely to stop. Six times. Now, I know it's just one study, but if that contains a grain of truth, it's essentially showing that, you know, if I do a really good, if I do my bestest job this morning, then hopefully you'll be nearly twice as likely to put this stuff into practice. But us just leaving here and simply being less busy could make us six times as likely to be like Jesus. So it's an important question to consider is, are we interruptible or are we too busy? And I guess a good question to make that a bit more specific would be to ask ourselves to reflect, when's the last time that God's agenda interrupted or inconvenienced your day? When was the last time you found yourself in that place? I think I mentioned last time I was here, one of the things that I really feel like God's, this is one of the things that I feel like God's been challenging me about recently, um, being interruptible. And I've been making a a conscious effort um, when I sense God's nudging me, um, especially if I'm in public, to just talk to somebody and to follow through, through with that. And the thing that I've noticed um, is that it's hard because there's always an excuse that bubbles up inside of you. Um, you think, you know, oh, I, I, I'm busy or they look busy or, you know, she looks a bit scary or, um, or even worse, he looks chatty. Like what if this turns out to be a full unscheduled 20 minutes of my life that I give up? Um, but um, yeah, it's hard. The other week I was, I was out for a jog and, uh, and I felt the Lord prompt me to stop and offered to pray for this group of guys who turned out to be a bunch of Muslim guys. Um, and it was, it was cool. We had a little chat about Jesus. Um, but I first had to overcome this internal monologue. You know, oh, they don't want their, their day to be interrupted, this pleasant afternoon stroll interrupted by this sweaty um, stranger. And so far, these conversations... I say, you know, knowledge they have yet, I have, they have yet to culminate in any sort of like amazing, miraculous, amazing miracle stories where everybody comes to faith or everybody gets healed. But I really do believe that they are, they are seeds sown. They are kind words shared and, and prayers offered. And, and I think if nothing else in the midst of it, God's definitely doing something in me at the moment where I think I'm learning. He's teaching me to, to, to know better and even grow to enjoy and love that, that feeling inside where you simply make yourself available to God's agenda in the moment and be interruptible. So those are my thoughts. If we want to be like Jesus... I think we need to not just copy the things that he did, but also the way that he did them. To be kind, gracious, interruptible, or whatever you wrote down. You might have different words or different words come to your mind. Be like that. Because he has commissioned us to go and do all the stuff that he did. He's given us the type of authority that we see him carry in these stories to to pray for healing, to cast out demons, even to pray that the dead would be raised. But we're to carry that authority not just in his name, but also in his nature, in the way that he did it. And uh, I'd just love to finish with a, just a little example of, of what this looks like in practice um, involving a friend of ours from a small group, a lady called Megan. Megan was on the way to work recently, and um, on the way, she stopped to pick up lunch, and as she parked her car, just out of the corner of her eye, she saw a homeless guy. And she said, like, my first instinct when I saw him was that I hoped that he didn't say anything to me as I walked past him on the way to the shop. But this guy did. And she stopped. And then she said, at that point, I kind of realized that I wanted 
to help him in some way. And so she offered to buy him lunch, um, but he'd already got food organized. And she began to realize that maybe the best thing that she could offer him in that moment wasn't lunch, but, but prayer. Um, and I think that the thing that I love about this story is that she'd never done anything like this before. Um, but she said, um, it just felt like the right thing to do. So I said to him, sorry if this is a bit strange, but would it be okay if I prayed for you right now? And it was a really nice surprise that he was actually really up for that. And so he got up and for the first time in her life, she stood there in a street praying with this stranger. She said, I prayed that God would bless him. And if only for a moment, I felt like I helped him get to a place where he needed to be. And it occurred to me that, you know, as she said that, I thought, yeah, for a moment, he got to spend a moment in the kingdom of God, a place where people are kind and they're gracious and they're interruptible and they're bothered. They're bothered enough to stop like Jesus did. And I tell that story to emphasize, you know, that's doable, isn't it? Like that's, that is doable, what she did. In fact, she said that having done it a first time, she, she said, I realised that I'd be much more likely to do it again. And in fact, a few days later, she paused in a traffic jam. Um, she saw this homeless guy that she regularly sees in the same spot, and she wound down the window and asked him if there was anything that he needed. And then the next day, she drove the same route and got some supplies and dropped them off for him. I love it. Drive-by blessings. We should all get into that. You know... Um, the scholar Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who, um, who he's, always, he's a bit hardcore, he always spurs us on with a challenge. And he said, we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will be constantly crossing our paths and cancelling our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions. And I guess the question is, are we willing to respond to that? Are we willing to be interrupted and to be kind and to be gracious and to bear these qualities and notice that to do this, we don't need particular expertise or skill. We simply need a willingness to allow God's spirit to stir us and prompt us and just to try and be what Jesus is like. But I believe if we try and do that, then people will encounter Jesus, not just in what we do, but also in the way that we do it.